Blog Talk Radio. Tennis, Mr. Chuck Greasy. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get in the game. And good morning once again. This is Coach Chuck Creasy. It's another week of American Tennis. And welcome back, folks. You know, I haven't done any programs since right before Christmas. What I was finding out is that Daggone, it's hard to run people down, first of all, to where I can have some good guests, and I keep covering different territory uh, when I do the program myself, and I've got a few things out there I really want to talk about, but uh, we we need guests, and we've got a great one today, and I'm just welcome to be back. Thank you for listening, and uh, we're going to continue on every Wednesday at noon, but this is American Tennis. We are now, if you can believe this, 2012, we're now in our close to finishing eight years. That's unbelievable. So I'm um, very glad to be able to do it and very thankful, but I wanted to remind you, your job, our job out there, we've got to help American Tennis flourish again and prosper. Everyone has to stand up, speak out, Say what needs to be said, and all we ask you to address issues, not people. And you can pretty much, if you stay professional, address issues, not people. You can pretty much say whatever you want to, and we need to do that, you know. And um, so, listen, thanks for listening, and I wanted to get right to our program if we can because there's going to be a lot of information to help you, whether or not you are a parent, whether you're a player, whether you're a teaching pro. Uh, I've got Mike Springlemeyer. Uh, with us today, Coach Mike Springlemeyer, and for years he's been respected as once one of the best technical coaches in the state, and if not the whole South, but I'll talk a little bit about his history here in a second, but I just wanted to say that I thought this would be a great opportunity to kick off the year because a lot of parents listen to this program, and he brought uh, uh, his young son up from basically almost infancy to being one of the best players in the United States, actually the number one American 
in college tennis. I think he was 12 in the country, but the other 11 kids were international students. But he did it at his local place, little club. He did it pretty much on his own. He did it without having to tap dance to every song that's being played about the pathway. Again, I have always said that we need we don't need pathways, we need freeways, we need expressways, we need highways to develop in our players. And this pathway thing is, is just the wrong terminology, but you know where I'm coming from. But I'm going to give you a great pathway today, and I want to get him on the line here, first of all, make sure. Hey, Mike, you on there? Are you on the line? I am Hello, on Mike. the line. Do I need to, do I need to all right. No, I got you, you sound great. Absolutely. You're coming in loud and clear. No. Okay, so I won't your uh, phone. No, I we can we get you. You're 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 uh, you're okay. doing fine. I'll I'll tell you if you drift in and out there a little bit. Just I know you live out in the boonies right. there, out in the woods, so you know, if you start tapping out we're gonna you know, you have to move where you get satellite. They get satellite uh, coverage up there where you're at. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Anyhow, I'm in Clemson. I'm in Clemson. Oh. Okay. I'm okay. in the city of Clemson. Okay. All right. Well, well, good. Um, yeah, it comes in clear if you talk right through that and not on the speaker, but it's good. Hey, listen, I, I want to just talk about you a little bit. First of all, Mike. Uh, you know, I knew of the Springlemeyer brothers, folks, back many years ago. I grew up in Indiana, and then in Iowa, there were three. Springlemeyer brothers that were doing pretty doggone good in tennis, and they all went to Southern Illinois, not Edwardsville, but Southern Illinois in Carbondale, and they all grew up in Iowa, so they, you know, these are tough, stubborn uh, people who make balls and don't miss much and do great things a lot, so Mike, Mike, I just want to talk about you a little bit. If I get any of this wrong, let me know, but you know, Mike Mike played in four U.S. Opens, main draw three, and then a qualifying in one. But the biggest thing about his background, folks, is that he still holds the record for the longest two three-set match, two out of three sets. And listen to this. you Especially if you're paying a bunch of money for your kids to go out and play those abbreviated sets now. But what would, what, when was it, Mike, and what was the score? It was in uh, 68, I believe, uh, right before. Man, you're old. Well, right during the okay, protest. And it, okay. it was out in Southampton, Long Island, on, a, on one of the pro grass court events. Okay. And uh, the score, <laughs> you want to know the score, Chuck? Yeah, yeah, I want to know the uh, score. Okay. The score, uh, 32-30 for the other guy. Three six so, for me, and then nineteen seventeen I lost the match. Wow, so. three six. You, you won more game. Wait a minute, you only lost one more game. <laughs> what, what was the third set again? What was the third set? Nineteen thirty two. Nineteen seventeen. Nineteen seventeen. All right. Yeah. Was that that one the year you were born? Was it? No, no. I'm sorry. So wrong <laughs> that, thing. Wrong thing. First sorry, World sorry. War. And that that match. That match felt like a war. Okay, but yeah. the memory, here's the stand. point I want to make as we talk. The memory is still with you to this day, right? 
that. Oh, of course. And, and, it, and it had a lot to do. I, I'm only asking this because recently I uh, met a couple buddies I played tennis with in Indiana, and I won a high school match 7-5-3-6-20-18 in the third one time in high school. I'll never forget that match. So I wanted to uh, just sort of con- con- contrast or make a comparison between that kind of a match that you never forget the whole rest of your life to one of these no-ad, tiebreaker for the third, hokey-pokey shows <laughs> that the kids no. are going to let go easier than a bad cold in the daggone winter, you know, whatever. You know, so boy, oh boy. So, well, listen, Mike, it's great to have you on. And um, we often try to talk in American tennis. We try to talk about ways to not just right the ship because we are the best country in the world. We have the most resources. We have great coaches. But we need to have uh, a daggone couple vitamin pills for tennis. But more importantly than that, you have so much information that you have readily available and I wanted to get you, folks, Mike's a good friend, so I can say I wanted to have him on the daggone show before the good Lord takes him out someday. Because now <laughs> we'll have him, because now we will have him forever on that airway out there, and you can get some of the information. So I, I guess what I'd like to say starting out, Mike, is uh, congratulations to you for all that you've done for other people in the state of South Carolina, around the South, and and just the role model you've been for for to just as, as a good man and a good family, you and your 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 whole family, Patty and your children. But I had the privilege of coaching your son through his college career, and I can throw yeah. my tidbits in here a little bit. But if there's ever been a better job of a father son relationship and coaching someone to excellence. I can think of maybe a few. I think the Leeches, uh, Dick Leach did with Ricky and Jonathan. I think the, for sure, um, the Bryan brothers, uh, they did a good job. But by the way, your son had a couple wins over the, I'm going to put, throw this yeah. in there. Your I'll get son to that. had two or I'll three wins. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Before they, that. before he retired. But and and then on the other hand, I'm thinking of down there in Florida, Harrison. You know the Harrisons, Ryan Harrison. Um, but Pat Harrison taught his two boys, Ryan and Christian. And then I've got to put you in there in the top five of, of the best all-time job ever done with your children. And obviously, the hard thing is we all have children. And last, I'm, I'm going to just add this. All of us are beginners at working with our children, no matter how much we work with other people's children. So I'd like for you, if you could, talk about training Mitch, what you did. And then I want to talk a little bit about USA Tennis toward the end and and talk about the sleeping giants that we have out there that we could be doing something about. So thanks. I appreciate your time. Hey, you're not going to send me a bill for this later, are you? Huh? Uh, no. Maybe. We'll okay. We'll okay. I, I know I owe you something, but listen. Thank you for coming on. So, um, yeah. talk about Mitch. Well, Chuck, tell me. Tell, would, me, tell us about what you've done well, there. I'm, 
uh, first off, I before I get into Mitch and his uh, you know development, I'd just like to talk a little bit about tennis in general because you, you know all this, but I'm going to say it. You know, tennis is the hardest sport. Uh, most people don't realize that. They love to watch tennis, but it is definitely the hardest sport there is. It's an endurance sport. It combines the physical with the mental. I think the whole focus about trying to get more people into tennis is wrong. Uh, I'll explain a little bit later, but the the ones that should be looking, that we should be looking and you should be looking for are the elite, the exceptional individuals that will gravitate to this sport that requires the best of one's physical capabilities, the best of one's mental strength, and the ability to blend the two for a long period of time on the court, not just for, as you say, no-ad games and abbreviated sets. Um, tennis, tennis is like the Marines or like the Navy SEALs. You know, we're, we should be looking for a few good men, a few good women. We want those individuals that want to rise above. We're not the Army where everyone is welcome. I think part of the problem has been, you know, with the USTA, it's focused on amassing an army and then hoping that the cream rises, thus giving them some elite players to represent them, the USTA. But by appealing to the masses, you are basically eliminating your appeal to the elite individual that partly wants to play tennis because of its exclusivity. Uh, Tennis used to be... Uh, hereditary sport where where the love for the game was passed on from the parents or an older sibling it's also an individual sport that only appeals to certain personality types it takes years of practice and years of competition to have the skills you'll need to be successful playing it but when you've invested so much time and effort into the sport you're not likely to just abandon the game and start playing pickleball you have to sometimes take ownership. At some time, you have to take ownership of what, of why you play tennis. Basically, you have to have a passion for the sport. If you ask most players why are you playing the sport, how many would actually know why they're playing? Um, right. So let, with that, uh, and I can tell you, I've you know got a list right. of what it takes to actually be successful. But I I'll get into Mitch and. Because I know, as you said, there's a lot of parents that want to help develop their their children. Um, and well, well, let me let, let me, me let me jump up. in there a second, if I can, yeah. be, before you get to Mitch. That is brilliant. What you have just said, that's brilliant. Because I have often said on this program and others that when you champion the weak, you weaken the real champions. But really, it's the appeal. Right. What they've tried to do with the Army analogy versus the Marines or the Navy SEALs is they have tried to appeal to the masses. Now, where does that come right. from? Marketeers, people money. wanting to make money, making the USTA more powerful. And once you do that, you take away the exclusivity. So it's, right. it's I've often used the analogy, it's like trying to be a concert pianist or playing a violin, or it's something. Exactly. As I go back to to your and my childhood, I played tennis because of 
it's extreme, extreme uh, difficulty. It's extreme difficulty. I was a basketball player in Indiana, and I remember distinctly, I was 13 years old, thinking, I'm not going to play this sport. I'm not going to play this sport. And when I played, I go, whoa. And everything about it was a puzzle to solve. Everything about it was hard. I could make contact with yep. the ball, but I couldn't control the ball. And then when you could control the ball, trying to learn how to win, and by the way, that scoring system was different. You had to win by two, and you might win more points in a match sometimes, but you might still lose if you didn't lose. And, and Mike, everything you say about it made me fall in love with it because of the difficulty of it. Hard to pick up, right. it became hard to put down. Right now, easy to pick up is easy to put down. So we have people, I always say we've made it like bowling or something, where you go on a Saturday night and you want to bowl once a Well, everybody's bowled, but not very few people are bowlers. By the way, bowling is yeah. extremely, extremely hard. But, but the bottom line is the complexity of the sport. So go ahead, go ahead. But, but Matt, Mike, you just oh, yeah. hit it on the head. I want all my players to listen to what you just said before we practice because, daggone it, you just smacked it right in the head. All right. Well, let me get into, you know, because I know parents want to hear, you know, just somebody else's experience with their own child. And so this is how Mitch developed. You know, I started him at two years old. Uh, the first thing I did with him, and we were out in Colorado, the first thing I did with him was to teach him where his racket needed to be when the ball was coming at him. And I showed him where the contact point had to be. So what I was talking about were fundamentals. We had, a huge, we had huge pillows for furniture in our living room and only one couch. I would stand him, he would stand sideways in front of the couch with his racket back resting on the couch because he's two years old. And I would toss him toss him a Nerf ball to his forehand side. He would swing and hit it, sending the Nerf ball across the room, and I would dive into the pillows to catch it. He loved sending dad <laughs> flying across the room to catch his shots. So right. it was just fun. It was fun for him, but it was fun, but it was fundamentals. And then growing up as a junior and even on the tour, I learned that hitting against a wall was a great way to improve your tennis. So I purchased a rebound net while we were out there and set it up in our basement and then taught Mitch the correct way to practice against it. At three years old, he learned how to do it. At four years old, he and I could hit back and forth on a regular court with regular balls. At five years old, I entered him in his first 10 and under tournament. At six years old, he won his first 10 and under doubles tournament, and he and I started playing father-son doubles events which I would encourage any parent to do with their child is get in that and be on the court with them. Gives you a great opportunity to bond. Gives you a great opportunity to just talk about the sport. At seven years old, he won his first 10 and under singles event, beating a good 10-year-old player who you know, Chuck, Will Bull. At nine years old, playing in the 12 and under, he started playing larger tournaments around the South. At 10 years old, he was playing national events, continued playing at the national level through the rest of his junior career. And then during his last year in the 1800, he was number one in the state of South Carolina, 
number one in the southern section, and had a high national ranking. That led him to being recruited by you to play at Clemson University. I always tell people that Mitch had all the technical skills to play the game when he came to Clemson, but it was only under Coach Creasy that he actually became a student of the game. It was under your leadership, Chuck, that he learned directionals, the checkpoints in a match, how to control momentum, what players, what plays to run based on the score. And because of all of this, as you had said, Mitch was able to be an All-American in both singles and doubles while at Clemson. And in his last year, he was awarded the National Senior of the Year Award, National, Player, National Senior Player of the Year Award, which most people know is the equivalent of the Heisman Award for football. And um, can I jump in? He won also, he won. Yeah. Go ahead. But he was the only player in college history to win two of the four major awards. They don't have 38 awards. They had four. He got the national senior, yeah. what the considered the Heisman for American players. And then he also, <clears throat> on top of that, he had, I think, the National Sportsmanship Award or the, the Van Ostrin Award was given to right. the player with the best potential for professional tennis that was the best. Uh, and they gave right. – those are big awards. And he got two of the four, only player in history. Yeah. So, yeah. So he did go on after Clemson. He did play on the tour for four years. And as you had stated in doubles, he and his partners uh, defeated the Bryan Twins three out of the five times they played each other. Bryan Twins were glad to see Mitch retire, actually. Uh, they told him that to his face. Uh, I want to just back up just shortly. And, you know, because I, I always ask the, you know, the players, you know, what, what are your goals? And a lot of them say, well, I'd like to play pro tennis. But I, I seriously wonder whether or not they know what goes into that. And and I've distilled it down to three things that you have to have if you one day want to play pro tennis. And the three things that are required, the first one is talent. Uh, we both know where that comes from. It comes from God. It gives you the talent to, to do, you know, tennis or playing the violin or math or whatever. Yeah, and and it is the responsibility of the parents to to note that uh, in their child. And then the second requirement after talent is you have to have opportunity. And that you know I always ask the players, well, whose responsibility is that? Well, it's the responsibility of the parents. They're the ones that have to get the equipment for you to play. They have to pay for your lessons. They have to get you to tournaments. Uh, they have to facilitate your development. But the third requirement is simply desire, uh, dedication, or passion, you could call it. Uh, this is all on the player himself. He has to have that passion and, and take responsibility for his own success. Even with all three of these, there's no guarantee you'll make it on the tour, but it's a certainty you won't make it if you're lacking any one of those three. So... Um, any comments? No, I, no. I, I, I was letting you. You're, you're on a roll there. I, I want to keep you going, but you're, <laughs> you're exactly right. All of those, but, but you know, one of the things interesting as parents listen to that, where the parents mess up is they try to jump in and provide the desire part. So 
so much. We can yeah. lead the kids, but in the end, they have you have heart for competition. You don't sometimes. And then the talent part, nothing. You can't put in what the good Lord left out. Parents, we're we're just responsible for the opportunity as best we can. And you know, hey, every day I take the kids to school on Wednesdays. They, they're homeschoolers, but they're always hammered. <laughs> I had a picture this morning. I had a picture, and and God bless them. But the Clemson football team lost, and. They had Trevor Lawrence on the front page of the Charleston paper here, and it said the agony of defeat. Oh, my golly, had sorrow. I said, now, kids, secretly this is what every athlete and every person in their world is scared to death of, that they might hurt this much when they completely give their heart. And I said, you have to figure it out on your own how much gain for how much pain. But what you learn is that, Unless you give your heart completely, you will never experience great joys. And by the way, the next day he's going to be out there doing the next right thing. And the pain is very, very important for the teaching. And you get used to it. It's more like a broken bone than an illness. But I said, if you don't learn how to give your heart. So as coaches, Mike, you hit it right on the head. And uh, parents, you know, we're trying to figure out, I'm I'm trying to use things that are Passive aggressive, I guess. <laughs> that 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 where my kids will catch on without me saying, "Get it, get it." Hey, you get it, because you, you just don't want to turn them off or their rebellion for it. And you know, it's really interesting though the journey. Way well, hey, we're all beginners being parents. So let's go ahead, Mike. Move on there. <laughs> well, well, I wanted to. You know, you said that you were wondering. You know, where do we go from here? Um, and I, I have a couple of thoughts. Um, I, I think it's the job of the USDA and, and, and us as well to educate the public as to what the sport of tennis actually is. Uh, you know, it's hard. It's difficult. It's physical, as I mentioned. It's mental. It's emotional. It will expose all your weaknesses if you're not prepared. But it's at the top of the food chain of sports. It's physical chess. And I, I like analogies. You've listened to me many times talk about what I think it's, something is like. Um, it, it's definitely physical chess. But what, what do we have to do? Uh, you know, well, I want we to have to learn what do all the, that. I, I, Mike, let me, excuse me for jumping yeah. in. We're, you know, um, if we're sort of, I want to come back to about Mitch, if you get anything, but in order to solve these problems, I want to, uh, let's try, let me, let me just jump through the commercial I got to do here and then we'll be right back. Don't you dare. Hey, Matt, Mike, hang on there. Okay. And I'm going to put you on mute here for the people, but hang on there. Okay. And we will be, uh, right back. This coach, Chuck Creasy, and we're. It's American Tennis. And it's Coach Chuck Creasy, and I wanted to remind you that my book, Coaching Tennis, has been out and around, and it's still out there, folks, over 40,000 copies now, all around the world, most of the continents as well. 
It is a great self-help book. It's a great book for you to teach by. It will teach you the fundamentals of the physical, the mental, and the emotional parts of the game. And as we're going to the computer, everything, go get this book as well because it is a complete coaching book. You can get them through Amazon. It's Coach Chuck Creasy's, K-R-I-E-S-E, and it's called Coaching Tennis. And my other books are still out there. You can look and see the review of all of them on my website at chuckcreasy.net and go get this book now. Coach Chuck Creasy and I'm back, and we've got Mike Springlemeyer uh, with us today. And folks, I, I'm, I'm just going to, Mike, I got you back online here. I wanted to just tell you, okay. I am going to get my team to listen to the, the introduction that about the tennis being the hardest sport. And if the USTA, if you guys are listening, I know you listen to this program some, and I never hit any individual hard you dedicated people we have very good people but whenever a bureaucracy gets so big it preaches and can tries to control people from top down it doesn't work but where you're messing up is coach mike springer just pointed it out you must approach it from the standpoint that this is the hardest game ever done and go understand and appeal to people's the highest qualities on this our highest instincts of, of making it hard. And you can have your recreation tennis, but we, we, we really do need to get people to pay attention to that. And uh, USTA, your top-down management cannot and will not work. John Denise, last week I was on his program, folks. Go to John Denise's Blessings of Tennis on last Thursday's program. Go get his program. I was interviewed, and we talked the whole time about how top-down management cripples creativity it cripples it cripples uh, motivation and we need bottom up bottom bottom up building instead of top down management mike uh, we're going to talk here about those things now about usa tennis and you put to educate yeah. we need to educate the public that it's the top of the food chain and it's physical chess yeah. so we're anxious yeah. go ahead go ahead yeah i'll get into that uh, you know, whether you're going recreational or whether you're going pro, uh, you know, I think it all starts with the fundamentals. Um, you know, I, I was a big proponent of that. You know, stroke production, that's fundamentals, your stroke production. There's, and, and I seriously believe, and I've actually started writing, I don't know if I'll ever put it in book form or not, but there should be a recipe that includes all the ingredients needed to execute every shot in the game correctly. Your strokes are the same as the pieces on a chessboard. You may need them all against a worthy opponent. But just like the pieces on a chess board are not the actual game of chess, but only the means by which you play chess. So your strokes are not the game of tennis. They're only the tools you use to play tennis. Like chess is like just like chess, it's played out in the mind. Um, so I always t tell my players. You know, tennis is physical chess. 
you know, you, and if anybody's familiar with a chessboard, they know that rooks, you know, move, you know, uh, straight ahead. They're one on each side of the chessboard. Uh, we're cutting out the, the one that goes uh, across. Uh, so that's a, like you're down the line forehand and you're down the line backhand. Bishop move yeah. on the chessboard is the same as a cross-court forehand and a cross-court backhand. The knight move is a kind of a squirrely move, and I always uh, relate that to hitting a drop shot combined with a lob over the guy's head. Uh, you know, pawns, they're just the, you're just rallying back and forth. You're not doing anything really with the ball. You're just staying in the point, and you're looking for opportunities. Chop wood, carry the water. Queen, Chop wood, carry water, yeah. The, the queen is probably whatever you consider your, you know, your weapon, the biggest, you know, stroke weapon. I, 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 most of the time I think that should be your serve where you really put the person at a disadvantage. And then the king, of course, I mean, that's, that's what you're trying to capture. And so the king in tennis is just the game is winning the match. So it is, it is, uh, to me, physical chess. And so fundamentals though, you have to have, you know, just like the pieces, you know, two, two chess players sit down at the chessboard. There's a couple things you notice. One, they all start out with the same pieces. So what differentiates them? What makes them different? It's what their mind is doing, not the pieces, okay? The other thing you notice about two chess players is, I'm telling you, they are focused. They are not looking around the room to see if anybody's watching them. They are totally focused on what they're doing. I would like to see all tennis players uh, learn to do that. I, I had an experience with my son when he was 12. He he was playing a, a match at, down in Panavidra at, at one of the national events. And I noticed, because I'm sitting in the stands and I'm charting his matches, I'm watching him, and I can't coach him during thing, but he's looking over at me after every point. And, and then I noticed something else. He's looking all around the place, looking at the player next to him, you know, somebody yells, he looks over there. He's watching everybody coming in and out of the stands. After the match, I told him, Mitch, this isn't going to work. Uh, your energy's going everywhere. Uh, I, I actually went out and bought him a magnifying glass, and I said to him, what's this for, Mitch? What do you do with this? He says, you burn things with it, Dad. I said, great answer, because this is like your tennis game. You're you're looking everywhere. Your energy's going everywhere. It's not focused on what you're doing. If you could somehow learn to not look around at the next court or the stands or anything, but pay attention to what's going on on your court, what the score is, you know, what's the guy's weaknesses, what's his strengths, what's working for me, you will stay that focused. You will burn your opponents. And he took that to heart because he kept that magnifying glass in his bag the rest of his junior career. So anyway, um, you know, with regards to the USTA, are you still there? I'm here, man. I'm here. Go ahead. Okay. Um, With regards to the USTA, I think to me there should be two distinct paths to the sport of tennis that people can choose from. The first path being recreational tennis for the masses, for the Army, and it should be fun. It should be social. You know, a lot of clubs and programs around already are following this avenue. Even at the college level, they now have club tennis. Most high school programs would fall under this particular heading. 
The majority of so-called teaching pros are only qualified to operate in this arena, in my opinion. League tennis is also part of the same area. So that's one one distinct path, recreational tennis. And UCA, I think, is doing a pretty good job with that. And, of course, they need to keep funding it and, you know, uh, keep advancing that part. But the other pathway should be distinct, and that should be professional tennis. And only the masters of player development would be allowed to operate in this sphere. You know, these coaches would be highlighted and singled out for who they are and what they bring to the table. Uh, these coaches could be supported by the USDA and even players that, that pass the test of being an elite athlete with the passion to be a pro could also be subsidized by the USDA to mentor under these elite coaches. So that's that's my idea. I, I mean, it's kind of a general idea for recreational and for professional, but I think you need to be distinctive. I don't think you can just lump it all together and hope that the cream rises. I think you need to focus right. differently right. And on I, the different two areas. And I so, can jump in there real thought. quick. Um, here's our yeah. problem that we had, and I'm not finding problems. You're exactly right. If anybody goes to the USTA website, Oh my golly, it's it's easier to book a flight to Timbuktu with 15 stops on the way than to maneuver through that USTA website and to try to tell somebody how to play a tournament. It, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Now, yeah. now, unfortunately, they don't even put up draw sheets. Sometimes I had a tournament director said, "Go to the website," and you know, you know how I, I mean with the cell phone and everything. I mean, I was very upset about it. And But anyhow, that's neither here nor there. But they lump everything together, I think, because right. they don't want to hurt the feelings of the people who are social players. Now, the other part of that is that <clears throat> I'm glad for the freedom for people who are social players to think that they're good players. But there has to be a definitive thing that happens to everyone when you go, whoa, I was a, in a bit over my head there. Because otherwise, yeah. and I think that's where they messed up too a little bit in that they've become elitist in their selections, but they've stayed too general in their criteria, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know, in their, oh, as yeah. far as their skill set with their coaches. And uh, they're to the place now where they're trying to certify coaches and saying, if you want to coach someone like you, they would. If you were going to work at this club now, they would be saying, oh, my golly, he does. do you have our certification? And then the person who's doing the certification is somebody that was, you know, uh, that would be should be teaching league tennis or something. And, you know, it, it's yeah. really, really just mismanaged from the standpoint that it doesn't appeal in the right way. But you're right. That's a fundamental problem is that they need social tennis versus serious tennis. You know, so yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Any but if they, edu- you know, it's, it's it's an education thing because they from from the you know youngest age, the the players need to the little kids in the juniors in the tens, twelves, fourteens. They need to know that there's two different paths. Um, or a because lot of if paths. it's all lumped together, yeah, right, right, two two different, yeah, right, right. Well, there's two different forests. One is going to be a fun forest like an amusement park. The other one's going to be the real right. the real thing where there's snakes and bears and bears and uh it's yeah. really hard, you know. 
and and uh, yeah. one is going to be the you know so people need to understand there and we always sort of understood that but but if they could define that that's that's exactly you're exactly right what what else have you got yeah. real quick I wanted to throw a few ideas in there but go ahead well I mean I played tennis. Again, it was it was hereditary kind of. I mean, I had older brothers that played, and but you know, I I I liked being able to travel. I actually wanted to get. I lived in Dubuque, Iowa, beautiful place, but you know, I liked traveling. I liked competing, and that's why I think it, you know tennis appeals to certain personalities. If you if you just want to be social, uh, I think I think. Uh, Myself and my brothers got reputations of not being very social because we wouldn't talk to our opponents on the changeover. They'd be talking, and we we wouldn't be talking because you know we wanted to win. And win. And I always I I always felt like you know that that was a tactic of my opponent was to distract me, you know, from winning. Um, so I again I think it does appeal to certain personality types. But again, the parents—that's part of the job of the parents—is find out what the kid is really uh, prone Correct. to. So, Correct. And every child you know. is different. Every child is unique. I've right. often said that uh, tennis. I play. I got three drugs. I got the dopamine rush of hitting the ball, and the really just fantastic feeling you only get from from the hitting of a ball or sinking a jump shot or hearing the perfect music, or the kiss from the woman of your dreams, mm-hmm. you know, that gives you a dopamine rush. Adrenaline, though, then dopamine, a dopamine grows exponentially as, as you conquer, as you get something, uh, become uh, good at something that is very, very hard. Whereas adrenaline is only really, I think, in about ah, 60% of us, maybe. I think there's 20% mm-hmm. of the people cannot are not competitive. I had two or three yeah. brothers, sisters were not competitive, and then I think two or twenty percent maybe are easy. They automatically get the, the, for the adrenaline. I think about fifty, sixty of us have to learn a lot about that. But then there's endorphins. Yeah. You get the third drug is endorphins that you get uh, that wonderful feeling of accomplishment you get after you have done something that's so hard. But let me tell me real quick. Now we got about five minutes. I want to. I want to well, real let me, quick. Go ahead. Let me say ahead, one more thing about Mitch. One more thing about Mitch for, for, that parents need to know. Uh, you know, I started him at two years old, you know, and he, you know, he played because I was teaching him tennis every day. But when he was about 14, he went to oh, my boy. wife and said, you know, Mom, I think I want to quit. Uh, I want to go shoot baskets and ride bikes with my friends. And so she came and warned me of that because she knew that, you know, I, I might not take that too well. But, you know, he came. I said, it's fine. Tell him he can come and tell me. So he did. And I said, Mitch, you know, I think you have a talent. I think God gave you a talent to play the game. you obviously been able to travel all over the country already at 14 years old. Uh, and you're good at it. Uh, but it's okay. Whether you play or whether you don't play, I love you anyway. So it's your decision. That's fine. Well, so he quit. It lasted all of about two or three days. And then he came back to me and said, Dad, would you start working with me again? 
I want parents to realize the importance of that because at that point, Mitch took ownership of his own game. It wasn't playing for me. He actually decided, you know what? I am pretty good at this. You know what? I do like doing this. And and so he came back. And, I mean, it would be nice if every child prodigy would get to the point where they weren't just playing for their parents or, or anyone else, but had the passion themselves and said, yeah, this is what I want to do. So, anyway, I had wow. to throw that in. Mike. Mike, let me say this. I've got my notes. I've got notes here I keep, but I said last thing of the show, ask Mike about Mitch when he was 14 and wanted to quit the sport (laughs) instead of all the glory trail. And the point being to all you parents, we roots and wings are the two great gifts we give our children. The roots, yeah, we're all gung-ho to do that. The wings are unbelievably hard but for you to come up with that just to everybody out there who is a parent and understands what it feels like when your child doesn't want to do something that you want them to do or they have a gift the freedom for them to make that decision on their own is is the most important thing in the world and it's hard for me it's hard for mike it's hard for every one of you and mike with that i'm going to let that be the last thing and I'm going to ask you to be on again, and we can talk about the sleeping giants that are out there <laughs> in, in America, that if we yeah. could waken up four or five sleeping giants, wow, because people are out there, they want to do the right thing by their kids, and tennis is the greatest of all sports. One last, i got a minute, one last thing, anything, Mike, you want to say? I mean, it's been fantastic. No, I, I mean, I, I, I've you know, played tennis my whole life. And so it does. It's kind of like being in the circus. I think you know. After a while, it's just in your blood. You can't do anything about it. So You're a party. I, you know, up here at Clemson, <laughs> I'm blessed. I'm blessed up here in Clemson. You know, I got a red clay court in my backyard. Um, so yeah, the Lord's been good to us. Well, that, that's good. fantastic and wise words from from a great man and. Uh, God fear you, just a good, good man. And thank you very, very much. And I wanted to uh, tell everybody, we're going to have Mike on again, but I wanted to remind you, you're in the process of winning or losing every day of your life, and it has very little to do with the winner or loss. Being in America. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. 
Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.